world. Pass first point guard and Blazers beat writer Mike Richmond. You'll listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show is the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag show answering listener submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved in a future Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. You can just tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Helps if you tag the tweet as mailbag or, or follow ups indicating that's a mailbag question. Or you can watch the skies on Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting your questions. You respond to that tweet. I'll do my best to get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't, tweet you can also get involved in the show by emailing me at lockedonblazerspod@gmail.com. one more time for you that's lockedonblazerspod@gmail.com. those are the two ways to get involved we mailbag monday has reached a, sort of a critical mass so we now have a secondary mailbag show later in the week called special delivery so if you sent in a question this week and you don't hear your show or you don't hear your question in the show it's not because uh, I just thought it sucked and I'm, and I'm ignoring you. It's because we I just have to organize them such that these these uh, episodes don't run super long. I want them to be right around 30 minutes, get in, get out, get on with your day, and then come back later in the week. So if you don't hear a question here, it's in the special delivery episode. So check back later in the week. As of right now, that show will probably post on Friday. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe right now, way if it penciled out, special delivery mailbag will be coming on Friday after the Blazers play a couple games against the Pelicans. That's how it works. Mailbag, mailbag happens every week. Rain, sleet, or shine, regular season, postseason, whatever season. So without further ado, let's get into it. The first question comes from Brooke, who asks, Out of the current top five teams in the West, Utah, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Suns, who would the Blazers have the best chances of winning a playoff series against? I think it's a great question because the Blazers are probably... The Blazers, maybe they could climb into fifth, but they're unlikely to climb into those top four seeds in the West. Like, I I, I think... Um, I think there's a clear, the LA teams and Utah are clearly the three best teams. And I think one of Denver or Phoenix is going to claim that fourth spot. So the Blazers are are battling to not finish below sixth. And that's a big deal because if you finish in seventh, you have to go in the play-in round. Uh, the, the play-in tournaments or the play-in, the play-in rounds can be a little bit tricky. If you're seventh and eighth, you got to win. You play, if you finish seventh or eighth, you got to win one game and you're in. If you lose that game, as a seventh or eighth seed, you go to a second game and you play the winner of the ninth and tenth seeds who've played. So you still have chances to get into the playoffs if you finish as low as tenth, but it gets a lot harder. You have to win extra games. They're single elimination games, which just the way basketball works, it increases the randomness of everything. So avoiding seventh is incredibly important. Uh, if you say the top five teams in the West, right, the Blazers are most likely to finish sixth. They're going to play one of the top three teams. But I think those, depending on how the Lakers sort of handle Anthony Davis's injury and how much the Clippers care about the regular season because they're scuffling a little bit uh who finishes one two three might change i think utah is going to win the west it, it matters to them to win the west and they're the best team re- best regular season team so the other teams are interchangeable i don't think utah is a great matchup but i don't think it's the worst one what utah does really well is they exploit cracks and defenses they don't have this like elite elite top tier score donovan mitchell kind of plays that role but i don't exactly think he's necessarily suited for it uh, although he was really good in the playoffs last year but what they do is exploit cracks in the defense and if if you've watched the blazers you know they're a little bit of a cracky defense so they they can i think they would just shred the blazers and hit a bunch of threes and that would be a tough matchup the Lakers have LeBron James and and Anthony Davis. The Blazers, um, you know, their kryptonite has been Anthony Davis against Yusuf Nurkic in the playoffs. Every time Nurk has been healthy in the playoffs, he's met Anthony Davis, and the Blazers have got summarily dispatched 
it's that's not who you want to play. They don't have anyone to guard LeBron. Uh, that's I mean they do. They could throw Covington, Derek Jones Jr. at him, but that's those aren't great options. Those are also the guys who you'd probably want guard, guarding Anthony Davis. It gets tricky. The Lakers are a bad matchup. Clippers the same way. Like I don't I don't think the Blazers have an elite wing stopper, so trying to guard a team with Kawhi and Paul George is hard. Um, the Clippers are definitely I would prefer like if you're looking at matchups, winnable matchups, I think the Clippers are a step down from the Lakers and the and the Jazz, uh, but not an easy one. I don't think the Blazers would be favored. Uh, the next on this tier, I think, would be the Nuggets. Uh, Jamal Murray is really streaky when he's hot. Boy, howdy, is he hot. Dude is Inferno. But when he's cold, uh, I guess I'll say it again. Boy, howdy, is he cold. Dude is an iceberg. Uh, he's he's really streaky. They're missing some of their defenders that made them so special last season with Torrey Craig and Jeremy Grant. But Jokic is a load and really hard to guard. Uh, the Blazers match up better with the Nuggets than, the, than these other teams I've mentioned. So I think the Nuggets are a preference. Um, and But I think the Blazers, the best chance they have of beating a team is the Suns. And it's because it's a talent league. The Suns are the least talented of these teams. Uh, the Blazers have not played well against the Suns this year year. Uh, they got smoked once in Phoenix and they lost uh, last week where they just got sort of out-talented at winning time in the fourth quarter because the Blazers didn't have anyone to guard uh, Devin Booker and the Suns got whatever they wanted on on offense. But I, I do think uh, the Blazers have wings that can match up with Devin Booker's size. I don't think the, um, I'm not as worried about the interior game with Sharich and and Frank the Tank and, and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Chris Paul is really good. He's always been a guy who's given Dame a bunch of problems. He's a really good basketball player, but he's, he seems like you could, you could neutralize him just because of age and size. So I think if I had to rank them, the best would be Suns, Nuggets, Clippers, Jazz, Lakers in that order. Thanks for the question, Brooke. Our next question comes from Blake Pitaro at BallDon'tLie77 on Twitter, who asks, with the recent Jason Quick article in The Athletic regarding management being, quote, concerned with the team defense, what do you make of that situation? Stats on the hot seat, maybe some potential trades, finally considering trading CJ for a more defensive-minded guard slash wing? Uh, I don't think the second two make sense for what uh, how I read that reporting from Jason Quick. There was a story posted yesterday evening in The Athletic, uh, the Sunday evening or Monday morning, depending on what time zone you're in. Uh, So here's my thoughts. Management is rightly concerned because if Terry Stotts can't coach a team to being a normally bad defense, like I don't think this team is filled with really good defenders. Like personnel absolutely matters when you're factoring in this stuff. But the idea that the Blazers are one of the three worst teams in the league, one of the two worst teams in the league, defensive teams in the league, that's a problem. That is a coaching issue, right? Like I don't think Terry should... I don't think the responsibility of Terry is to make this particular group with, that's been missing Nurk for so long and starts Dennis Cantor and has to play Carmelo Anthony so many minutes. I don't think the the onus is on him to have this team be like a top ten defense in the league. I think that's I think that's silly, and I don't think that's what management cares about. But my read on that, my read on what the reporting that Jason did is that management says we shouldn't be this bad. Like it is the responsibility of a coach to coaches. Coaching makes a difference. Like I, I say all the time, players play. It's a talent league, and I believe that. And personnel definitely matters. But it's responsibility of the coaches to make this particular team not horrific. And right now they're horrific. They can't stop anyone. And that is a coaching problem. That falls on the coach, no doubt about it. Right? Like uh, there's a limitation to this team, and I think the limitation is something like 
18th or something in defensive rating, but not they're 28th right now. Like they, and they've been awful to open the second half of the season. They got, they've been lit up by a bad Minnesota team. That's, that is a problem. I don't think Terry Stotts is going to get fired in season. Um, I think there's a chance Terry Stotts plays out his contract period because of ownership, not wanting to pay him $7 million to go into, to not coach, uh, Blazers, Ownership in general has kind of been going more towards saving money and paying two coaches. Doesn't seem like something they will do. But the Blazers suck all year on defense and losing the first round of the playoffs. I think that spells the end for Terry Stotts here just because it, it, it's time for new blood. It's time, you know, when Katie Heindel joined the uh, joined the podcast a couple weeks ago, she talked about just having fresh eyes as, as, a, as a reason for coaching change. And to me, that's, that's where I'm at. Like if, if the Blazers hit the same wall of being a bad defensive team that can't get into its offense against elite teams in the playoffs you've hit a wall you need fresh eyes like I'm I'm with it and my if the management is concerned with the defense because they feel like they added uh Derek Jones Jr. and they added Robert Covington and they they drafted a guy who they believe is a good defender and and Gary Trent Jr. despite maybe some information that he's not necessarily that then yeah like this has to fall on the coaching staff um the idea that like the management is concerned, so they're going to make trades. I don't think those are necessarily related. I think that you might get to a point where we're not very good at this thing. It's time to make a trade, but that won't be, um, that's sort of more reactive to what happened as opposed to like the panacea to like, oh, we, it's not a mea culpa or whatever, as I'm using a lot of Latin words here, but it's not like if, if management makes a trade, it won't be because they're trying to uh, do anything other than save the season. I think that, I think the Blazers front office thought they built a, a decent defensive team and it turns out to look like a terrible one. And if you thought you were decent, it looks terrible. That falls on the coaching staff. The trading CJ stuff, that's just a thing. That's just a thing you wanted to write, think about, Blake, and go ahead and think about it. It's not going to happen. Next question comes from Greg, who asks, you shared some interesting statistics regarding how the Blazers perform with specific lineups on the floor. Yeah, I love lineup data. I think it's a little noisy, but um, I've said this a bunch, like, the only thing coaches do in in game, like they do a lot of coaching pregame and stuff, but what they do mostly once the ball is tipped is decide who plays and when. Like that's the biggest, um, the biggest impact coaches make because even if they call a play, guys can wave them off or whatever. It happens all the time. Watch Blazer games. Sometimes they don't run shit, even though Terry asks them to. Um, so. Greg continues, this seems like very useful data for a coach. Do NBA coaches use this data to determine who they put on the floor together, or is it less of a science? No, it's it's certainly a huge part of how coaches make decisions, at least how uh, Terry Stotts make decisions. I have sat there with him uh, back in the day when you could have private uh, one-on-one chats in person with guys. I've sat pregame with Terry and looked at lineup data on his phone. Like, um, I don't think he's like pulling up some special database. I think it's emailed to him, but like he gets the numbers. He gets the numbers when he wants them or on a weekly or on a daily basis, depending on uh, when they're sharing stuff. He has five-man lineups and two-man lineups and three-man lineups. Like he sees all the stuff. Like he knows who plays together by the numbers, but he also coaches by feel. Um, hence Rodney Hood playing a lot, despite the numbers suggesting that maybe Rodney Hood is bad. Uh, so it's both. Like it's, it's, um, it is both science and art. And Terry coaches a lot by feel, but the numbers certainly have an impact and he has access to those numbers. And he, he has thought about it. Like I have talked to him specifically about pairings. Like this is year, you know, three, four years ago now, maybe two, three years ago now, but like, Hey, don't you see that the numbers suggest that Ed Davis and Myers Leonard are actually a pretty good pairing? And he says, yeah, but it's, this is a thing I see too. So it's, it is both art and science, but certainly lineup data is something that factors in specific lineup data is something that factors into decision-making of the Blazers coaching staff without a doubt. 
All right, in the second segment, we'll come back and answer more of your questions. But before we get there, let's talk about rockauto.com. Y'all know rockauto.com because it's the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. And you can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And while you're there, you'll see that they got everything you need. Engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, new carpet, you name it, they got it. And whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get all of that in just a few easy clicks and it will be delivered directly to your door. Plus, the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you can choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices that you prefer. And the prices are the best part because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much on the same parts? You don't have to do that. Instead, you can just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box. That way, they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, you'll get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. So make sure you follow Locked on Bets, brought to you by betonline.ag. It's available wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Liam who asks, ideally, how many minutes should Dame Dalla be getting upon CJ and Nurk's return? He looks gassed and is averaging way too many minutes to be sustainable, and it shows. With young guards, Gary Trent Jr. and Anthony Simons, that only benefit from more playing time, juxtaposed to a very difficult remaining schedule, what's the best way to manage the All-Stars loads, secure the playoffs or play-in spot, and have our stars, as well as our bench, fresh and ready for the playoff run? So Liam, I agree with you in theory that Damian Lillard's playing too many minutes. He's averaging about 36 a game on the year. And I think the sort of the sweet spot number would be to get him down in the 32 range. Now that doesn't seem like a bunch, but when you, you know, miles matter and over the course of the season, those four minutes a game matter. Uh, and we'll and we'll just, they'll be better on your knees and back and bones and muscles. Like it's just, just less minutes is better. But here is the issue, Liam and all dear listeners who are worried about this type of thing, is that the Blazers aren't very good when Dame is out of the game. I've been tracking it all year long, particularly with um, since CJ and Nurk have been out. I've been I've been tracking it, you know, very specifically, is that the Dameless minutes the Blazers get killed in. In fact, on the year, according to Cleaning the Glass, which is the best stats website, which filters out uh, garbage time, the Blazers are plus six, 7.6 points per 100 possessions better with Dame on the court. The offense is just way, way better when he sits. And actually, the defense without Dame in the game has been uh, traditionally a little bit better. But it's also going against second units for the most part. So you, you got to balance it out there. Dame, not a good defensive player. Not super surprising that they're a little bit better when he's when he's out of the game defensively. But, I mean, they go from this elite offense to a not very good one. So those four minutes you're sacrificing each night might, might very well decide the game. Like, in, in a lot of these games, the Blazers bench just can't hang and you have to bring Dame back in. Now, I think that's a concern because there is a mental and physical just amount that you kind of hit a wall. But Gary Trent Jr. and Dame and, and Amphrey Simons uh, aren't, haven't been good enough to kind of spell the those minutes to like take away from Dame's plate. He has to come in and help because those guys, 
you know, while Gary's been good, he hasn't been like lead an offense on his own good. And Ant just hasn't taken that step to being like a really positive, consistent contributor yet this season. So I think your question, the point is like when CJ Nurk gets back, when you have better players, how much can you, how, how close can you get? And I think we don't know yet. Like I think 32 is the number that you'd like to be at, but can you buy Dame, you know, so that that would that would mean you need 16 minutes, right? Can you buy Dame 10 minutes of rest in the first half and then six minutes to start the fourth quarter every night? I don't know. I don't know if you can do that even with CJ in the game, and I think it remains to be seen. I think that's the right number. I'm just not sure they can get there considering the roster and all those things. Like, if they want to win, Dame has to play, and that burden eventually will catch up with him at the end of the season or the playoffs or whenever it might be like it's it's a lot and the problem is they just don't have the luxury of of turning the game over to someone else when cj gets back we'll revisit it i think it's an interesting thing to keep track of the dameless minutes once cj is back because if they're good in those minutes this team takes a step a real a very serious step to being a good basketball team uh but We'll have to see when he gets back and what it looks like. Next question comes from Joseph, who asks, Been thinking about how fun it was to see Dame and Curry lighted up at All-Star Weekend. This would make me feel really sad, but should we trade we? Trade Damian Lillard to the Golden State Warriors for Clay Thompson. Dame could win a championship with a team he grew up with. It would be insanely fun to watch. Our defense gets better with Clay, and we get to do Dame a solid for being so loyal to us. I know this doesn't work in real life, and Dame doesn't want to leave, but what do you think of this idea? I think this idea sucks. You're trading Damian Lord for a guy in his 30s under a big money contract who hasn't played basketball in two years. You're trading him to a direct rival without getting draft picks or any compensation back. You're tr- you are conceding some sort of loyalty to let Dame go do a thing he doesn't want to do in another place because you want to watch Damian Lord and Steph Curry play together. And you didn't dream up a scenario that brought Steph Curry to the Portland Trailblazers. And the idea that the defense takes a step forward while well, the offense is going to take a massive step backwards you just made the team bad because you want to see damon and damon steph play together and i think that's a cool thing to do but my opinion is that this is bad on every level it doesn't even it doesn't make sense trade wise it doesn't make sense sort of what dame wants to do wise it doesn't make any sense it's bad it's bad joseph um enjoy the all they'll, they'll play together in a future all-star game enjoy that one next question comes from jesse who asks do you think hassan whiteside wishes he would have rejoined the blazers if it meant taking a small small money and small role compared to last year does he help all at all other than just having nurk and giles out it seemed everyone was down on him but he put up good numbers and maybe with an extra season with them he could have fit a little better no i mean hassan, hassan whiteside would be better than the no center they currently have as a backup center right um i'm not even 100 sure hassan whiteside would be better than just playing robert covington at center but he'd certainly be a better insurance policy than no one above six foot nine on the roster other than ennis Cantor. that is without a doubt um hassan whiteside people dog on hassan whiteside because they think he doesn't try hard and there might be some effort stuff with him and i I think that's true but like his limitations are mechanical like he is slow he's not a good passer he takes a lot of time to read and process things he's pretty right hand dominant he doesn't have a lot of shooting range when he does have shooting range it's a pretty slow release Uh, uh, he it, like it's just like physical basketball stuff he's not good at um he's he wouldn't you know he i don't think he would have wished that he was the third third center here he ended up weirdly being the third center with with the uh sacramento kings it was reported today by sam amick of the athletic that the lakers are monitoring Hassan Whiteside to add him to potentially add him to their front line if he gets bought out or released uh or even traded by the sacramento kings but no i i mean 
I don't think I don't think Hassan's problem was like seasoning and familiarity. He played a kajillion minutes next to Damian Lord and they weren't good. Most players who have played next to Damian Lord, like if just at the numbers over the past few years, the dudes who've been on the court with Dame have been good because he's really good and they weren't with Hassan. That is damning of him the per, him the player and has nothing to do with sort of like the mental things people criticize him for. Next question comes from Zach O who asks, was Wenyan Gabriel better than Harry Giles? And should the Blazers have stayed with him in the offseason? He looked like he had promise. He could shoot the three, drive, and play that interior defense we've been needing, especially in those backup center minutes. So I don't really think Wenyan Gabriel could play a ton of backup center. Like, he's he's he was an interesting choice to guard Anthony Davis, and his length and motor were okay. But I, he didn't really, other than game one, I don't think he really did anything um, to, to, he didn't play very much after that. But I don't think he was like this elite defensive stopper that the Blazers missed out on. Um, you know, in hindsight, maybe, yeah, Wendy Gabriel more likely to be available than Harry Giles. But um, the idea that he's like an obvious upgrade, it seems like to me it's just a different skill set. And Harry with his ability to pass and maybe his, his um, sort of more polished offensive stuff makes him a more intriguing player than Wenyon, who's all motor and kind of raw on offense still. So, no, I, I mean, um, I don't think you can say the Blazers were wrong. I think you could have a personal preference for Wenyon over Harry Giles, and that'd be fine. But I don't even, I don't see Wenyon as a center, so you're talking about another four. I think they kind of did need some center depth and still do. So yeah, I mean, when it could be a personal preference, but I, I, I have a hard time sort of knocking the team as like a, that, that being a big mistake. All right, let's come back in the third segment and close out the show with more of your questions on this wonderful mailbag Monday. But before we get there, let's talk about betonline.ag. Y'all know betonline.ag, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports actions. NBA games every night, the NCAA tournament starts this week, Thursday, uh, with playing games before that. This is a this is a fun time to get in on betting on sports, but if you don't want to do that, uh, BetOnline's also got awards and reality TV. You could, you know, bet on the Grammys if you wanted to. You already missed that, but it, it's award season coming back up with the Oscars. They'll have you covered for there because they got real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline's got you covered for all the news and scores you could possibly need, and it's just the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head on over to their website, betonline.ag. You can use your computer or your mobile device. Sign up today with the promo code Locked On and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code locked on at betonline.ag, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's episode is also brought to you by the good folks at Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar in the market that I've been telling you all about for a while now. Built Bar is amazing because it's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high in fiber. Tastes amazing, comes in 100%, all the flavors come in 100% real chocolate. But now it's time to find out which is the best Built Bar. It is Built Bar Madness, and we've got a matchup for you. Today's matchup in the sweetest 16 is Peanut Butter Brownie versus Coconut Almond. Coconut Almond got a buy in the first round. Peanut Butter Brownie beat out Raspberry. For my money, I'm a Peanut Butter Brownie guy. I think this is one of the better bars that they have. I'm a Peanut Butter Chocolate guy. I like the little brownie bit at the bottom of this or the brownie part of this bar. To me, this is money. I, I, I suggest you go get some. Or if you're already familiar with the products and just want to weigh in, you can go vote at BuiltBar.com or visit them on Twitter at Bar underscore Built to weigh in on what is your preferred flavor in today's matchup. And remember, 
Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won, today, who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Blazers. You like this show? You might also get a kick out of Hollinger and Duncan because they'll help increase your basketball IQ. They're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's NBA analytics pioneer and front office insider John Hollinger and Dunked On Podcast host Nate Duncan. They bring you the most in-depth scouting reports, game breakdowns, and salary cap analysis that you're going to find. So make sure you subscribe to Hollinger and Duncan today wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with the final questions of the show and close out this wonderful, joyous Mailbag Monday celebration. This next question comes from Lewis, who asks, how much, if at all, do you think the drama surrounding Russell Wilson and the Seahawks have or would have an effect on potential midseason moves for the Blazers? I understand that in theory, the ownership isn't directly involved in any basketball or football operations, but in practice, I don't assume that to be completely the case. If I owned both teams, I'd find it hard to prioritize the Blazers' needs until the situation with Wilson was sorted out. What's your general take on two perennial contending teams that but not title winning teams that have the same owners in terms of cutting into one another's front office priorities i I think they're totally unrelated honestly lewis like to a certain extent uh the the like so the allen estate owns both teams and has to make financial decisions uh collectively that that impact the estate but the way i understand it those buckets are totally separate and do not ever cross one another also they're both salary cap leagues so there's like you can kind of say here's our specific budget uh i I do think lack of revenues from season tickets might sort of change how they run each team individually but i don't think nothing to do with russell wilson at all zero to do with russell wilson will impact the blaze it's just um we're talking about a, a multi multi-billion dollar estate. Like they've got these they've got these things pushed apart. It's not like losses in the space program, that big plane that's gonna that the Allen estate has that's gonna orbit uh orbit the earth or whatever is it like it, it's not like expenses in that impact the blazer, expenses in like the deep sea travel stuff that they do impacts the blazers. They just this is billion these are billionaires doing billionaire things. Um and while in in theory I follow your logic, I think they are totally, totally separate. Next question comes from James in Beaverton, who asks, or who says, rather, it's barely a question. I'm in charge of the NBA MVP party. I've got a stage with a table on it with six chairs at the table. That's the MVP table. I put place cards for Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I've got one chair left to fill, so I go down to the floor to the Nets table up front and pick up KD, Kyrie Irving, and Harden's cards. I go back up to the stage. Whose name should I put in the last seat? Also, do I swap any of the other names with anybody else in the room? So I think if you if you have to pick a net, it probably has to be James Harden. Uh, he's changed their fate the most. His sort of counting numbers are better than Kyrie, but woof, look at Kyrie's shooting splits. That dude is... Having a season. I had Kevin Durant in the early season, my early season NBA uh, ballot. I was asked by ESPN to rank my top five, and and Kevin Durant was fifth on that initial ballot. Full disclosure, Damian Lillard wasn't on the list at the time because the Blazers were scuffling a little bit. Uh, Shortly thereafter, he took off. They moved into fifth, and I felt a little bit embarrassed. Um, The other name I would add to the MVP conversation is probably Kawhi Leonard. Uh, It's 
it's not set in stone. And I think the, I think the names you have are, are pretty good. Like, I, I really think it's kind of like a three-person race at this point. Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and LeBron. The Lakers are going to take a step back, it seems like, because Anthony Davis might still be a month away from playing basketball. And the, and the Lakers might fall down fourth or fifth uh, in the West. And I, I don't think they're, they're particularly worried about that. But if, you know, it's hard to make the case for LeBron if they finish fifth that he's the MVP. So it might end up being just Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, depending on where each of those teams finish uh, respectively. I think Dame makes a case of the Blazers, you know, pop up in that four or five seed, particularly if they if they are pushing for fourth near the end of the season. Um, but I think the last the last of these is Harden. Um, I don't I don't think you're going to need six chairs when you end up hosting this MVP party, James. But I, I I do like the idea of it. This next question, our final question of the show, comes from Austin, who asks: The year is 2021. The Trailblazers have been sold and the new owner is cleaning shop. Terry Stotts and Neil Olshay have both been fired and none other than the past first point guard, Mike G. Rich, Mike Richmond, has been named the new general manager. The new owner wants to win now and asks you to guarantee a championship in your first years as GM. Who are you hiring as coach and what personnel moves are you making to fulfill that promise? What would be your plan A to bring that hardware home to Portland? The framing of that question was too epic. Uh, when I read the email, I had to I had to get the cinematic music. So here's my plan to get get the Blazers a championship in three years. Ooh, good luck. Um, if you're hiring a new coach. It's hard. It's really hard for me to sort of figure out what like who are good coaches in the market. I I I just don't. I don't know enough about what assistant coaches do to say like, oh, this this person is particularly a, a, like going to be a really good head coach. I think a name that has been floating around there and is, is really well respected in these circles is a guy, Wes Unsell Jr. He's associate head coach in Denver, promoted to that role. Uh, Denver's obviously a really good team. And if he's second in command and being paid to do so, you got to think he has a, you know, has a big part in, in their success. So Wes Unsell Jr. is going to be my is going to be my coach. My first moves as GM will be trying to sign and trade Gary Trent Jr. and uh, a combination of Anthony Simons and Nazir Little, depending on who they want, for Aaron Gordon, a power forward who can handle the ball and pass a little bit, who would be a wonderful outlet option for teams that trap, teams that trap Damian Lillard. Then I would try to shop around CJ McCollum. I don't think he's going to be super easy to trade, and I don't know how it works, but Blazers upgrading their size and versatility on the wing is, is going to be as helpful as possible. There's not a lot of wings that are necessarily going to be on the market. It's hard to shop. It's hard to swap CJ out for a high-level all-star wing if teams that have all-star wings they're holding on to them it's the most valuable position in sports but we're going to shop cj actively and see what we can get we are going to not forego the draft but we are going to go all in and that means trading future draft picks or near-term draft picks in order to maximize our first three years and what we're going to look for with those draft picks are another creator preferably someone over the height of six foot five but if that creator happens to be six foot three with long arms we'll take it we're going to look for versatile forwards versatile fours instead of playing Carmelo Anthony a valuable uh, score on offense we're going to look for a, a more defensive versatility in the front court relying on our offense of Damian Lillard plus this new help of Aaron Gordon to fill out the rest of the roster we're going to try to flip Derek Jones Jr. for a shooter 
Think of someone like Malik Monk and Charlotte as as an option for us. Then we're going to sign low quality defenders, defensive or low low content, low value defenders. We're going to sign guys like Kenrick Williams, who I think can be a really valuable basketball player who can play two, three, and a little bit of four, even if you need him. We're gonna we're going to target defensive versatility and a little bit of shooting because we're going to sign another creator. We're still going to have Damon CJ. We're going to add Aaron Gordon. We're going to have Nurk in the mix. And that'll be our plan. Now, I say all this to say is I just added a bunch of B pluses to this lineup. Do a bunch of B pluses get you over the top to win a championship? No, they probably don't. It's hard to do that, even with all things perfect and all the balance there is in the world. But I think the the sort of strategy that I would that I would undertake if you're trying to sort of maximize this window is to do a thing that you can't do if you have an MBA job. If you work in front office in a GM, it is hard to mortgage the future entirely and set it on fire for the present, knowing that you also might be responsible if things don't work out for that future that you have now mortgaged. It is easier for me to do that here and say, let's punt on the draft, get rid of draft picks, you know, make as many splash trades as possible, move some stuff around without understanding the sort of political dynamics within the organization, without understanding the um all of the salary machinations that I'm that would have to sort of match. I mean, I, I understand the basics of the CBA, right? But I, um, I I'm not going to click through every single scenario here, right? So I just I kind of want to I kind of wanted to walk through this with the epic music to say you can even a pie in the sky plan and a really good plan. It's going to be hard for the Blazers to take a big old step, a big old natural step to championship level without some internal development. Ant has to pop. Even though we might have traded him to uh, trade him to Orlando, or Nazir Little has to pop. Even though we might have traded him to Orlando, but whichever guy doesn't end up there, they have to take a step forward. Zach Collins has to come back healthy and really good. Yusuf Nurkic has to play two consecutive seasons as a healthy, high-level basketball player. Like you need, you need a lot of luck. You need to make the right moves, and you have to operate within the understanding that you're going to be paying Damian Lillard close to fifty million dollars a year while you're doing it. It's a big challenge. It got the epic music because it is an epic journey to build a championship basketball team. <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm exactly the man cut out for it. Um, and it's even even the best laid plans um, don't always work out. Your championship window is always smaller than you think it is. That is going to do it for this episode of Mailbag. If you did not hear a Mailbag Monday, if you did not hear your question, look for it. Friday's show will have a special delivery mailbag episode. If you want to get involved in future mailbags, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email the show LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to get involved. Tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them they can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs>